We're back with shocking newly released body camera video showing a disturbing encounter between Maryland police and a five-year-old boy they put in handcuffs. Kathy Park reports. Don't make me take you over there. Your record been taken down. Okay. Tonight, growing outrage in Maryland over this newly released body camera footage. Cut it out. Two Montgomery County police officers responded to a call to bring back a five-year-old student who left school after he allegedly broke a computer. Get in. Now. I'm not asking. Get in the car. I don't want to hear it. After the officers bring him back, the situation quickly escalated. Police blurred the identity of the child. Meanwhile, the yelling and berating is all caught on camera. I mean, how do you learn that type of behavior at five? That's why people need to beat their kids. Sit down. When the boy doesn't stop crying, one officer screams just inches from his face. Police release a near hour-long video Friday near the end of the footage with his mom in the same room. An officer places handcuffs on the boy's wrist. These are handcuffs. You, you want to go for? where Uncle Berto went? Huh? Huh? You know what these are for? These are for people that don't want to listen and don't know how to act. The incident took place January of last year. After an internal investigation, Montgomery County Police said both officers remain on the job. The boy's mother has since filed a lawsuit seeking justice and compensation for his trauma. In a statement, the school district wrote in part, our heart aches for this student. There is no excuse for adults to ever speak to or threaten a child in this way. Councilmember Will Jawando pushed to get the video released and demands a full investigation. You shouldn't treat a human being the way this young boy was treated. It doesn't matter if he's five years old or 50 years old. No one should have been talked to in that manner. And ultimately, what do you want to see happen to those two officers? They should be fired. Kathy Park, NBC News. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we do deal with part two, children, the silent victims of police abuse and prison brutality as well in correctional facilities all across the country. And that's whether you're dealing with teens, 15, 16, 17 years old, going into places like Rikers Island. Khalif Browder, we're gonna get into his story and the tragic end that happened with him. But what you just heard moments ago is a five-year-old boy being berated by officers in a way that is absolutely unacceptable. We got a screaming five-year-old that is scared, confused, really not knowing what's going on. And the abuse and the verbal abuse that happened to this young boy, we're going to address that issue along with many others dealing with this topic. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We take off right now. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Clint Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Cliff Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. 
as we deal with, again, part two in our conclusion of this series, uh, the untold stories of children, the silent victims of police abuse, also the victims of correctional facilities across this country uh, that ends in sincere tragedy. We're going to deal with all of that tonight uh, as we get ready for this show. And for your thoughts, folks, feel free to dial in tonight at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. Whether you have a comment about what we're talking about or you just want to feel like, you know what, I, I have something to say about this. This is troubling. This is, this is really, really wrong. Uh, we're going to get your thoughts on that again, 646-200-0628. And also, uh, as we get ready to get going, we're going to deal with current events right now. Briefly, a segment on that prior to going to break and coming back to this show. Uh, as you know, the George Floyd uh, trial uh, is happening as we speak, uh, and it continues to go on. And I have been, along probably with a lot of other people, very troubled by what we have seen thus far in this trial and reliving the death, the torture, really. And a young man said that. I believe he was one of the witnesses in the case that said George Floyd was tortured to death and they killed him. Uh, David, your thoughts on that? Well, what we're seeing there, uh, a lot to digest there. Uh, well, it's a typical uh, uh, situation where the defense is trying to put on something, put on some sort of defense that is just, just completely implausible. Nine minutes, 29 seconds, you stay on a man's neck. They have to pull, practically pull you off of him when, uh, pull him off of George Floyd when the, when the paramedics arrive. There's absolutely all the stuff surrounding what the officer's intent was, all this stuff, that's irrelevant. You, you can't argue intent when you uh, stayed on a man's neck and he said he couldn't breathe. In, in my view, uh, the fact that you were on his neck for nine minutes, 29 seconds, and you continued to stay on there when he said he couldn't breathe, uh, that's a slam dunk case. I just don't see how the officer can possibly have any justification for killing George Floyd. And it's just uh, indicative of what's going on in youth facilities. Men with power do horrible things in this country. And this country, uh, need, uh, honestly, they, they need to turn back. Uh, maybe they need to start honoring God or something like that because this nation is going downhill. No, without question. And we do know that, is it Derek, is, how do you pronounce his last name? Chauvin. Chauvin, Chauvin uh, actually had a history of abusing, uh, uh, I mean, you're talking about putting his knee in people's backs uh, that he apprehended. There's, this is in the record. The judge allowed, I believe, eight incidents. But I believe, David, if I'm not mistaken, it was closer to 13 to 18 times that this guy actually did these things. But the judge is only allowing six uh, or six to eight incidents, I believe it is. Uh, to me, everything should be, but they'll probably stipulate that the, the defense stipulates that this many times it happens. We'll stipulate to that that they don't have to keep adding that in. But I think it should be repeatedly, repeatedly said uh, based upon the fact of what this man has done. When you, when you take a look at these pictures, the videos of this thing over again uh, that happened last May, you're reliving the nightmare all over again. And to the, to the witnesses that witnessed this man dying in front of them, uh, the neighborhood guy that was there that broke down on the, on the witness stand in a way that I have not seen, based upon that this, and it tells you the impact of what America saw, what the world saw, that caused protests in levels and numbers we have never seen 
in the history of this country. William, your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, as you're, we're reliving, we're reliving this, and we're, we're seeing this over and over and over again. Michael Browns, Walter Scotts, you, you, you see these cases that are happening where police misconduct is, and, and then they try to, you know, come up with some kind of story, justification for the outcome. There's no justification for a man being dead. I mean, there, there is no justification for that. You cannot, you cannot make a case. And, and it, to me, when you look at this stuff, it's, it's mind boggling to really listen to them try to put a defense around this. It, I mean, it, it's, you really try, you see the problem. We all as a nation see the problem. And the question that everybody's saying is, are they going to get it right? Are they, are, is the justice system really going to be just this time? Well, I'll tell you what, if they don't, you're talking about an act, outcry that we've not seen in, probably in the history of this nation. Uh, the National Guard has already been set in place due, during court proceedings because of the crowds that are starting to gather outside that courthouse. Um, and I don't, we don't condone violence here on AJC Radio. We don't condone protesting to the point where people are getting hurt, people are injured, people are killed. That's not the point. But the, what was once said by someone that protest happens, <coughs> excuse me, when a person feels like their voice simply is not being heard. And those steps and those actions that have to be taken, we need not tire from the protesting of these things that have happened uh, because that's what they count on the African-American community uh, to do. In this case, it touches every walk of life. It doesn't matter whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're red, whether you're yellow, whatever it is, this thing hit a core nerve. And it's called a humanity nerve that something has to be done. There are things done in our society that, that is a moment in time where time stood still and to this day those things are never forgotten. I believe George Floyd's death and how he died is a moment in time that we're never going to forget, as we should not. William, go ahead. No, you know, they were talking about that this week, and we also saw this week there were, I believe it was four St. Louis police officers that were acquitted, basically, of beating up another undercover cop. They beat up an undercover cop. And and this happened, they were talking about it on CNN, and I sat there and watched it. I looked up the article, and I said, I can't believe that. And they said it's so hard to prosecute police these days. And they said this officer was undercover. He was with uh, Black Lives Matter. And they showed him. And he had been beaten up by four fellow police officers that were acquitted. How do four officers beat up and undercover? They didn't know he was undercover, They right? didn't know he was undercover. Well, why are they and then, shouldn't, and that, then once but it, shouldn't that be communicated? Hey, bud, I, I went to lock. I'm about three lockers down. Uh in, in the uh, in the police station, it was you know it's one of those things, and, and we've talked about it before on the show. You know that blue wall, you know it's like it even in amongst their own. I mean that you to watch to watch that interview, you're sitting there watching the the those that were contributing on CNN. They were they were all floored. They're sitting there saying, you know, how in the world is it that they can just get away repeatedly, get away, and even when they beat up their own, not knowing, they can still get away. Well, I. Honestly, Lamont, I think I think the gig is up. I think uh, black people have been talking about this stuff going on for decades now. Uh, and now uh, with cameras everywhere, uh, people are starting to see. Uh, Barack Obama said back then, black people are not just making this stuff up. This stuff was going on. It's been going on for a long time. 
and now people are being more aware. Uh, people like uh, Derek Chauvin and, and those, those of his ilk, they're going to start being prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Uh, and, and the public's going to demand that they get prosecuted. No, absolutely right. You're in a different time now. And uh, I think George Floyd, unfortunately, his death shaped a nation uh, and has brought awareness to something that we can no longer as a nation or as the world uh, turn our back on. And when you have Australia, you have England, you have uh, all these places marching and protesting on behalf of George Floyd, that is sending a statement that does not, does not, does not quickly go away. We're going to be right back, get some thoughts from our other hosts as we get into this show. And we're going to see here, again, the body camera video showing officers beating, berating, rather, five-year-old boy as he screamed for help. And we get ready to take off down this path, folks. Call your friends, neighbors. Tell them to tune into this show. Um, it's heart-wrenching again, but it's a story that has to be told. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm gonna give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252 that is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation 
that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we go down again, our concluding of our series, uh, The Unspoken Victims of Abuse in Our Criminal Justice System. Uh, we were dealing last week with police officers. Let me be clear, and I said this last week, I'll say it again. Uh, we do not in any way categorize all officers uh, in the same light. We are very much aware that there are, there are good officers out there that really are upset and outraged as a result of what we're seeing officers do. That's in the George Floyd case. And I believe they're even more outraged when you talk about doing this to children. Uh, that five-year-old boy, we're going to play that clip for you one more time for those that missed it. Um, to me, there's nothing worse than hearing a baby cry or a kid cry and scream out of horror. It's a difference when the, when the baby or, or a youngster is screaming because they simply want to get their way, but there's a different cry. Uh, I believe that cry was, was definitely in place here with this young five-year-old boy uh, from Maryland. Officer Kevin Christman uh, and Officer Dion Holliday are the two idiots uh, acting the way they are acting towards this young boy. The young lady said, uh, well, that's why people should beat their kids. Uh, she probably will have a very hard time getting another place of employment, uh, which she should. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. If you call this some form of discipline, it has nothing to do with it. It is a power, as David alluded to earlier, uh, when you have absolute power, uh, you have absolute corruption. You have absolute uh, just wrongdoing, if you will. Uh, should never be. Should just never be. And, and we get outraged again with adults. But when you hear kids suffering at the hand of adults, uh, that's something that, that just cannot be tolerated. Let's play the clip. 
Um, and we're going to come back and get into this show. But those that may have missed it, uh, let's go ahead and play that of this five-year-old boy being berated by officers. We're back with shocking newly released body camera video showing a disturbing encounter between Maryland police and a five-year-old boy they put in handcuffs. Kathy Park reports. Don't make me take you over there. Your record of that down. Okay. Tonight, growing outrage in Maryland over this newly released body camera footage. Cut it out. Two Montgomery County police officers responded to a call to bring back a five-year-old student who left school after he allegedly broke a computer. Get in. Now. I'm not asking. Get in the car. I don't want to hear it. After the officers bring him back, the situation quickly escalated. Police blurred the identity of the child. Meanwhile, the yelling and berating is all caught on camera. I mean, how do you learn that type of behavior at five? That's why people need to beat their kids. Sit down. When the boy doesn't stop crying, one officer screams just inches from his face. Police released a near hour-long video Friday, near the end of the footage, with his mom in the same room. An officer places handcuffs on the boy's wrist. These are handcuffs. You, you know what they're for? You want to go Uncle Birdo at? Huh? Huh? You know what these are for? These are for people that don't want to listen and don't know how to act. The incident took place January of last year. After an internal investigation, Montgomery County Police said both officers remain on the job. The boy's mother has since filed a lawsuit seeking justice and compensation for his trauma. In a statement, the school district wrote in part, our heart aches for this student. There is no excuse for adults to ever speak to or threaten a child in this way. Councilmember Will Jawando pushed to get the video released and demands a full investigation. You shouldn't treat a human being the way this young boy was treated. It doesn't matter if he's five years old or 50 years old. No one should have been talked to in that manner. And ultimately, what do you want to see happen to those two officers? They should be fired. Kathy Park, NBC News. have it this is why many citizens feel the need to take action because that's somebody's little boy who looks up to their dad or to their mom and to hear this young man scream and cry that way uh, any parent would be outraged. Dennis, you had a comment about this earlier. What are your thoughts on this? Yes, I was just going to say that uh, we uh, we got to get accountability for these police officers. And again, like you said earlier, we're not putting all police officers in the same bag. But again, uh, I was thinking about how if 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 no one ever, if there's never a charge, and I, and I think uh, David uh, referenced it. You know when you start when you start charging these officers, and, and, and it looks like in reality, uh, eyes are opening up. Uh, I think jurors are, are going to make a lot of different decisions than what they usually make uh, because of what's happening in this country, and of course because of social media. But again, there has to be 
accountability. You know, I hate to use the word an eye for an eye because it, that's not, you know, what this world is about today. But if I kill a man, if I abuse a child, if I do these things, then the same sentence that I would give a citizen, that police officer should get that same sentence. No, no, I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think it's a, a situation. It says here, Shanna Grant of Silver Spring alleging a civil filed a civil suit filed rather January 13th in Montgomery County uh, seeking more than $1 million in damages that her son walked out of East Silver Spring, and this is the clip you just heard, uh, class while being improperly supervised in January 2020. Two responding Montgomery County officers then caught up with the boy about two-tenths of a mile away from one of them. Officer Kevin Christian, and that's the guy that's telling him to get in the car, started aggressively chastising him and forcefully grabbed the youngster's arm, the suit claims. Christmas tone and demeanor directed that the boy was more uh, befitting a criminal rather than a, than a scared five-year-old child, the suit states. The child started to cry, and Christian continued to hold his arm and told him to cut it out. The moment you put your hands on that kid, you have assaulted him. That is assault. And you forcibly grabbed him and held him. Well, don't. how does a five-year-old leave a school how does he leave what's going on at the school now <coughs> where's the supervision of the school where's the authority and the, the leadership of the school a five year old just gets up and walks out the school as, as he's an adult he's unsupervised. unsupervised had he never been allowed to leave the school but then you have issues uh, and we, that's a whole nother show you have issues with teachers in schools that are being this way, treating kids this way, because they simply don't like them. And again, not all teachers, but you have those folks. You have bad seed everywhere, no matter what. And the, it says here the officer then allegedly walked the boy to his squad car while insisting he stop crying. Get in, the officer demanded, according to the suit. Now, I'm not asking, get in the car, or we're going to have problems. That sounds like a, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a predator get, trying to trying to get somebody to get in his car. But you know what? That's what they tell kids don't do. That's right. Get in the car. I don't care what's going on with you. Get in the car. Or something's going to go wrong or something's going to happen to you. You say that to a five-year-old boy. This is abuse. It's abuse. And the scars that come with this, the scars here, when would that five-year-old even be comfortable walking back into that school? Or to another school thinking, am I going to get... Or he sees a cop driving up the street with his mom or whatever at a grocery store. See, what people are not understanding, this type of behavior goes on with our kids for years to come many times. So when a kid gets older and he walks, say he has an encounter, that he's in trouble, he needs the police. Do you know the, what you've set in this young man's head He's not going to feel safe that I'm going to be covered by a police officer, that I'm going to be safe because of what he's endured, what he's gone. That's a reality. That's true. We don't talk about that. Well, if the communities are not comfortable with law enforcement, how are you going to protect those communities? Samson, your thoughts? Yeah, I actually just got done watching the um, the video of, of this interaction between these two abusive adults that just hide behind a badge and a five-year-old boy 
and the fact that you can see the officers on the body cam footage laughing while this child is sitting and been forced into a chair and is crying his eyes out in the principal's office and then the police chief wants to come back and say oh this should have we should have never been called for this this is a school matter i don't care who you are i don't care what kind of uniform you wear you never treat a child like this i mean you're literally this is a minor where where is his where is you know his adult supervision where is it you know like we were talking about at the school but also why are they handling him like that without an a basically an adult third well, his, party around well, his parents exactly like he's i mean you see like he the the officer grabs and i'm when they say forcefully grab like he snatched this little boy up and put him in the back of the car and then buckled him in and takes him back to school but the fact of the matter is like you don't you don't do that to a child we I mean like you said the scars this this boy will never call the police for anything he would rather he would probably rather get robbed or beaten than trust the police ever again in his life, and they they're not taking that into consideration. All they're doing is they're basically abusing their power, what little they have. They're abusing, you know, the badge, which again there are a lot there are tons of great police officers out there, but it's people like this and the coward that they work for that says that we should have never been involved that is causing this type of behavior to spread all across police departments all across this nation. Absolutely true. You snap this, you snatch this kid up. This, this is what kidnappers do. This is what pedophiles do. They forcibly grab kids and force them in cars, and many of them on milk cartons today missing. Many died and were killed by these same perpetrators. But I'm supposed to be the police, and I follow the same type of behavior? It's unacceptable. Uh... We're going to get more into this discussion, folks. Please stay with us. Uh, we're going to get ready to bring a guest on our show um, who, I tell you what, she has something to say. Uh, incident she's going to talk about unfolded in April of 2019 at Ruth Erickson Elementary. This is absolutely total insanity to me. Uh, Commissioner Lindley was shocked when she got a call from Wayne County Juvenile Court on Wednesday. Uh, it was about her 10-year-old son, Bryce. Uh, the soon-to-be fifth grader was charged with aggravated assault following a schoolyard game dodgeball. Now, <laughs> do you know how many times I played dodgeball in gym? Mm -hmm. You're on the court throwing the ball at each other. Whoever hits them, uh, I guess they got to get out of the game. That's how I remember it being played. This particular young man was charged with aggravated assault for playing a game. We're going to get her story. I don't want to get too much into it. I need to hear from uh, Ms. Lindley. Are you with us, ma'am? I am, yes. Thank you for having me. You're, you're, you're very, very welcome. And did I pronounce your name right? Is it Kamishi Lindley? Um, it is Kamishi. Kamishi. That's correct. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay, so I think we did okay with that. So, yes. Ms. Lily, tell us a little bit of, I, I'm, I'm totally baffled right now as we continue to talk about these issues. This is what increases the school-to-prison pipeline with yes. nonsense like this. This is what gets kids in the system. At yes. a young age, you get them locked in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you tell your story, Ms. Lily, about your young boy. Tell us what happened. Walk us through it. Walk our listeners through it. And let me say again a very special thank you 
uh, for joining us tonight as we deal with abuse with our children within the criminal justice system. Go ahead, please. The floor is yours. Okay. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone that's tuning in, including my friends that um, I wanted um, to just to just listen, because these talks are very difficult. But what happened to my son happened so much around this country. And, and I love this topic of being um, untold stories because I got a lot of emails after this incident with my son where people didn't get a chance to share their story. And so what happened was um, in 2019, in April, on um, April 23rd, I believe it was, it was on a Tuesday, my son came home and it was a, it was a different type of day because he came home and he was crying and he was upset and he said that he had um, gotten yelled at and had hurt his friend on the playground. And so as a parent, I knew that something was, something wasn't quite right because this is um, a child who is happy. He is a, you know, a bus, you know, a bus helper, you know, so he helps with the lower level kids at that time. And, you know, he's a honor roll student. So, you know, I just kind of reached out, um, to his teacher at that time to find out, you know, what had gone on. And she had indicated that um, that she wasn't on the playground at the time, but the story that I had confirmed with her is basically what he told her. And what had happened was the kids, um, you know, we live in a predominantly white area. And so this happens a lot when it comes to uh, minority students, but, um, they were playing on the playground. They enjoyed two. They enjoyed two recesses per day, and so um, the same group of boys played all the time. My son was the only African American child playing this game, and there were teachers. Um, there were, you know, just it was just a normal day, and so the kids were supposed to be playing a game called tips, where you throw the ball and toss the ball across the players. Well, of course, these are nine and 10 year olds who create rules every time they come out on the playground. And so that game turned into a game of dodgeball where these kids were chucking the ball at each other. And so um, the first recess, you know, they, they were playing the game. Well, the game stopped and the other young boy who was playing the game picked up the ball and chucked the ball at my son, but my son, it's still not clear whether he, he dodged the ball or he caught the ball, but nonetheless, the the, the game was not in play. And so right. recess was over. Second recess, um, the second recess comes back in the afternoon. And so the, the same group of boys were playing the game. And this time my son picked up the ball and shot the ball back at the, the kid who had thrown the ball um, during the first recess. Well, the ball must have hit this child in the face. And so that's how my son ended up ended up getting yelled at. I guess it was a different staff at that time who was supervising the playground at that time. So they didn't know exactly what had transpired during the previous um, previous recess. So nonetheless, um, you know, I just felt like, you know, maybe this was just kind of blow over because I hadn't heard from anything from anybody else. And this kid was a friend of my son's. Well, two, fast forward two days later, I got a call at the end of the school day at almost four o'clock when the kids let out of school from the principal on the Thursday. It was on the 25th of April, 
two days after the incident. And the principal was had indicated that he was going to um, suspend my son from school for a day. And so I, you know, asked him, you know, like what, what for, you know? And so he said it was in reference to the incident that had taken place two days ago. So my first question was, why are you just not calling me two days later? It seemed odd to me. Um, and then two, why is he being disciplined when all of these kids were actively playing the game? You guys provided the balls, you guys supervised, you know, you, you supervise these kids playing the game. And so to me, that's like, in a, you know, playing, signing up for football and someone gets hurt. So now my child was the only one who was being suspended. So I thought that right. was odd. So I requested um, to meet with the principal the next day. And I something told me to take my mother with me. And I, you know, I called her up and um, told her to meet me at the school the next day. And so the next morning we went in to speak with the principal. And the principal had indicated that he had kicked my son out of school due to the severity of this other child's injury. And so my next question was severity of right. a, a, what, what injury they're 60 pounds soaking wet. So what injury are we talking about? And so he said, um, this child had a concussion and I thought, wow, just like you were saying, you know, prelude, like, you know, we all play dodgeball. I don't remember anyone getting hurt like that, you know, and, you know, especially not at this age, because these kids are, right. are small. And so, um, you know, I asked, the, you know, we kept pressing the principal because it just it just didn't sound right to us. Well, the principal um, said that this other child had a condition, a pre-existing condition that had something to do with his brainstem. And so, of course, I was like, why was he playing this game? Thank you. And why, why did you all allow him to play this game? You know, like if he can be if he can be injured, because this is a physical context for it. And so um, it still didn't sit well with me that they you know, that my son was the one who had gotten the, who had received the discipline when they all were playing the game. Somebody ended up getting hurt. And so, you know, that's fine. So fast forward past that, my son took the suspension and I um, I have contested that thus far with civil rights here in Michigan. And so um, the kids had come back to school on that following Monday. You know, they, out of school, they, you know, played games together, apparently, um, video games. And, you know, they were friends. And so the boys had determined that they would find a different course of, you know, a different way to play now that they learned that the other child was, um, what had, had this issue. And so, you know, they said we'll find something else to play with well the mother of this other child called the school and told them that she didn't want her son anywhere around my son well okay fine so fast forward the very next week I got a call from the police department um and the police department there was a young lady that called me um, a police woman and she just kind of was letting me know that there was a complaint that was being filed and she said, you know, not to worry about it. And she says that she had told the, the young lady, like, you know, I've got kids, they play, they get hurt or whatever. She's like, this isn't going to go anywhere. And if it does, you know, I'll call you back. Well, I never got a call back. 
over two and a half months later, I was sitting, I had just arrived to work. Um, it was about, I think, July 24th or July 25th. And I got a um, telephone call on my cell phone. And it was a, um, I didn't answer and I let it, you know, let my voicemail pick up that call. And so I listened to the voicemail and it said that I needed to report to court the very next week. And I thought, who would know, who would know, who would know, who would have my phone number? I thought it was a host. And so I called the telephone number back and it was the Wayne County um, court or Wayne County prosecutor's office or something. And Mm -hmm. the young lady that I spoke with took, you know, she asked me if I had a child and I told her yes. And she asked me um, what his name was. And so I told her and she told me that he was being charged with aggravated assault. And I almost dropped the phone. I didn't know what she was talking about, but she relayed that it was from an incident that had taken place back in April. And I, mm-hmm. I just really could not wrap my mind around that. Um, you know, I cried. I um, Even talking about it right now is difficult. Sure. So in, anyways, okay. I, I ended up leaving work and I said, okay, <laughs> you know, I've got to figure out what to do because I had no paperwork. I had no nothing. I didn't even know what I was responding to. And so I thought, well, this would have started probably at the police department. So I'm going to go there. And so I went to the police department um, here in Canton, Michigan, and picked up the police report. And that's how I had learned about the details about the mother calling to say that she didn't want her son anywhere around my son. And the way I read that report was it was all almost um, – is if she didn't want her son playing with a little black boy is the way is the tone that I took um, from what I read in the police report. And so anyways, you know, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, and I tried to figure out, okay, what is my next move? And that's when, you know, I, I think I was just such in disbelief. Um, and how was I going to explain something like this to my son, you know? Um, and I work in legal and have for the last 24 years of my life. So this was the most difficult task that I had to, um, you know, that I had to try to figure out really fast what to do. Um, and so I called the our local media here and I called, I think, three different um, um, TV stations and explained what had happened. And I think that they were just in awe, of course, because um, they had to verify my story, told me they called me, called me back. And they did really fast after they verified the story. And then they, they came here. Um, and I think that if anyone wants to go and check, they can look at, you know, some of the videos of our initial um, in, interviews with the local media station where I, I, I was really um, distraught about something like this. But I want to just add a couple of things that I don't think that people even know. Um, This young lady did not, when I looked through like the, you know, the records of the other parent's child, um, she had not even taken this child in to like an ER or something like that. So that kind of was suspect to me. Um, Mm -hmm. until the next day she went in and took him into her local pediatrician. Um, And so that's when he was diagnosed with a concussion or whatnot. 
Um, but the mother Ms. also Lulu, had, me, had. Let yes. me interject something for you as you're talking. I'm gonna, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I got to ask this question, just for clarification. Yes. So, uh, two and a half months later, yes. after she takes this kid in and says he has a concussion. The last, and let me again, the last I remember, I don't think I'm that old, is the dodgeballs were soft. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, is that is that the consensus around the table, guys? It's true. Yeah. There wasn't a hard, and here's secondly, you allow a game during gym, sanctioned by the school, for this young boy to play out on recess. If there's any type of, any medical situation, that would be at risk, then the school remains responsible. How can I come directly after this guy, your son, who simply participated in PE? Yeah. That's what he's doing. Yes. And you want to come back and say, you assaulted? That is the yes. most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Go, mm -hmm. go ahead, go ahead, Ms. Lindley. I, wanna, I had to interject that. Uh, no, no, that, that's okay. And just for clarification, it wasn't yeah. two and a half months. It was it was three months later because the incident had taken place April 23rd, and it wasn't until July 25th I got a phone call. Is, so okay. it was it was after school was out. It was during summertime, and heaven forbid if something if they had have been in school, then I'm I, I don't know if they would have arrested my son. But I know that it would have devastated him completely. Um, okay. So, anyways, just to fast forward a little bit. Yeah. So, in a nutshell, the, you know, I ended up getting um, retaining counsel. Um, the story had went gone viral within hours um, because the public really retold the story about mm. how race played a part in this. Um, because I honestly don't believe that if my son had have been a white child, he would have ever been charged with aggravated assault, period. I do not believe that in a million years. So he was targeted, um, in your opinion? He, he was definitely targeted. He was yeah. targeted. And, um, you know, even from the way the school had disciplined my son. If if you were going to if the school was going to take action, then they should have either not allowed the kids to play a game like that, or um, or if someone did something wrong that was like some violation of the school. I feel right now we're still going through that process with the with the Department of Civil Rights with the school because it was comparing apples to apples in terms of what happened. But my sure. son, again, was the only one who was disciplined. That's still a part of his permanent record. And these are the cases that turn into the George Floyds that we're watching right now. You know, um, they, the school-to-prison pipeline is how this thing gets started. Yep. Cherry-picking, putting different information into files and things like that. This is how this picture gets told, Right. And so right. that's that's a real problem that we have as minorities, particularly in in when you're in um, a predominantly white area. This happens way too often. Um, but just to fast forward to let, let your audience know that the yep. case ended up being dismissed. An apology was a was was um, issued. I don't know if there was a formal apology from the prosecutor's office. 
um, that was Kim Worthy who who actually did that. She was in charge of the prosecutor's office in Wayne County, um, but she made a mistake of fact is what she called it. But anyhow, these kids ended up going back to school the same year. So a month later after the case was dismissed, the very first week of school, my son came home and said, Mom, the principal called me down to the office and wanted to know if I wanted to resume playing with this other child. And I'm not naming him because he is a minor. Um, and so I thought he was playing with me because I was like, we just went through this. I'm traumatized. You're traumatized. This is not the time to play, right? And so he says, no, mom. He called me and asked me if I wanted to play, continue playing with this kid now. You know, it's a new school year. And the kids really wanted to be friends. But at this point, post, um, you know, criminal court, juvenile court, for no, absolutely not. Because that almost to me seemed as if the school was trying to set my son up or something. So I went to the school the very next day and um, I drafted a cease and desist letter to the school, particularly to this principal, and, and let him know that it is not his place to try to choose who my son is friends with. That is a mother's role. That is a father's role, right? Um, but that doesn't have anything to do. I felt like he was he was stepping outside of, of his role. He knew very well what had taken place just a month prior to. And then fast forward. That was in September of 2019. About a month later, my son came home, and there was an incident where my son and another kid was goofing off in class, so they were sent to the principal's office. And there was a police officer who was there who apparently is the resource officer, but my son didn't know him. He came home and said, oh, mom, there's a police officer that was in the, you know, that was in the office when we went down. And so I said, well, did they call the police on you? And he said, well, no, but he asked us like questions, like why were we down there? And one of the staff members had told the the police officer that she wished that um, someone that that police officer could speak to my son, another kid, about goofing off in class, and even that was inappropriate because the way yeah. I saw that was that now. Your everything, this whole community, the whole world knew what, what we had just gone through. So now you're trying to threaten and intimidate my son with a police officer. He's 10 years, he, you know, he's 10, 11 years old. I don't even know how old he was. And I think he was 10. Yeah. But, you know, my oh. son, you know, he says, I didn't answer any questions, mom, because that's what you told me not to do. But I thought I, I did file a complaint. And um, the school issued an apology um, directly to me. But I, I don't know why we have to continue to engage in these types of conversations and why something like that would be very traumatic for, for students, especially a student of color. You know, threatening with police officers and resource officers. When I went to school, we didn't have that. If kids, have, kids do these things, they play, they fight, they're friends. That's what they do. Well... I think, and I'm going to interject here, uh, Ms. Lindley, the problem here is, so you have your son that goes back to school. Hey, by the way, young man, we'd like you to go ahead and start playing dodgeball again. Uh, yes. 
And the, the correct answer would have been, I'm being a little comedic, not that this is a funny situation. Sure, I'd like to have my hands tied behind my back and make an attempt exactly. to run across the dodgeball field. Are you absolutely insane? Correct. So you just to a correct. To a 10-year-old. To a 10-year-old. A 10-year-old boy, and the fact to me, and I'll see if any of the hosts have questions for you, Ms. Lilly, but look, how that even left the station, how that even left the playground, kids will always change the rules of a game if it has to do with contact sports. When I was coming up, we used to play flag football during recess. Yes. Well, it was our position. Our position was running after you. Oh, my goodness. Well, if I can't get the flag, I'll pull him down by his pants. I'll pull him down by his legs. Oh, well, it yes. just happened. <laughs> that is the way, because, because kids do these things. Yes. The tragedy here, though, the tragedy here, just as simple as it was to bring charges on your son for something that's not a crime. This is how yes. young boys get caught up with being accused of sexual uh, assault things. Uh, and I'm not making light of any of that. But if you start yes. here, it continues to grow. So I yes. can just say, I can have a little girl just come and say, hey, well, these guys, this kid is 10. Yes. Mm -hmm. The girls want to play. When I was coming up, the girls wanted to play sometimes. And we would, we would interject mm -hmm. them as we could to play. And God forbid, in today's world, you're trying yeah. to tackle this young girl down. Well, he he accidentally hit whatever. Well, you got up there yeah. to play. But yeah. this is, and please understand my point, Ms. Lindley. The problem is, this is where the abuse begins and it yeah. grows. Right here. Yeah. So as your son yeah. gets older, he goes through junior high school, he goes through high school. In the back of his mind is... And as he becomes an adult, he's not yes. going to believe in a system that created him to be something that he was not. If you tell a young yes. kid we're charging you with assault, that's not a, that's not a low crime. And as he you didn't get older, even understand. My son didn't even understand. I had to walk him through. Like what could I, you know, because I had to possibly, you know, the case was dismissed a day before we were, um, before we were scheduled to appear in court, but I had to try to prepare him for what he was going to go through. And he was terrified, you know, he was terrified as any child would be, you know, we see adults that are terrified in the court. So, you know, he wouldn't have understood what he had done wrong. And I mean, here it is nearly two years later and I'm still explaining, you know, um, because he's now coming to understand, you know, like what has kind of happened because I'm having him kind of peek in on this George, George Floyd trial sure. to sure. make him understand that, you know, you automatically have a target on your back simply because of the color of your skin. So the rules are much different for you. You have to be careful about what you say and what you do at all times. At all times. Well, I think the tragedy, and I'm so upset right now. When I tell you you can create a culture mm -hmm. inside of people, mm -hmm. storms, that were, storms that were never there. Mm -hmm. What you are doing to the children, to the young people 
of this country, the mm-hmm. teenagers. You create mm-hmm. a culture of of chains and cells mm-hmm. because ultimately mm-hmm. they begin to go into themselves and be like, well, you know what? I'll just stick to myself. I don't want to get in trouble. But then you have a culture in society that when you don't say nothing, when you listen to what Correct. the officer tells you, you get eight warning shots in the back. Yeah. It is it is such a tragedy. And I'm so sorry, Ms. Lilly, for what happened to your son, because the challenges that you have as a parent now is how do I, it's kind of like you got a puzzle on your table and somebody kicks it off or knocks it off on the floor and it's all, it's in pieces everywhere. People may think that's yeah. an exaggeration. I don't think so. And I think to put mm-hmm. those pieces back together and to say, look, a parent should be able to tell a child, hey, it's not that way. This was just once. We can't right. say that. We can't no. say that. One of our hosts has a, a question for you, I believe, Ms. Lindley. Kendra, go ahead. Yeah, Ms. Lindley, just, just a question. If Just to get your, your view of it, if you hadn't have gone to the press and gotten basically like the, the virility of this situation, do you believe that this would have been dismissed? Because in my view, it looks like if you hadn't brought attention to this, they would have put this on your son. He'd have been nine with a criminal record and, and off a, off a, a schoolyard game. I just want to get your uh, your take on that. Yes. Thank you so much for that question. That's actually a very good question. I contemplated that uh, over and over and over in my mind. And you are absolutely correct. Um, I believe that they would have, um, the prosecutor's office would have tried to slide my son through the system. That's exactly what they would have done. This is one of the reasons why it's very important to really engage in um, with teachers, the principals, as often as necessary. I've always been um, a very active parent in the school. Um, we had just moved back here. Um, I had lived in Chicago prior to um, our move here. But I had lived in Chicago for 11 years, and then I had just moved here January of 2018. So we had not even been in the district very long before this had happened. This had happened, you know, about 15, 16 months after we had moved here. And one of the reasons why I selected this school district was because I believed that it was diverse. I had done my research, um, you know, because we had come from a very diverse place. And so um, to your to your call, to the caller you know, you are absolutely correct. There's, I mean, this case, had I not gotten the media involved, it would have certainly, I don't believe that it would have been dismissed. The prosecutor had talked about things like other alternatives. Um, You know, no one had, my, my son's due process was completely violated. No one got our side of the story at all. I never had heard from this prosecutor's office. Um, until the day I got the call saying to show up the very next week. Because your, so, your son had been charged. Um, my son was being charged. That's correct. I had no paperwork. I had nothing except an automated phone call to my cell phone. Wow. That was left That's on it. my voicemail, you know. So, yeah. yes. And yeah. I think that this, I mean, after after um, this, my son's story had gone viral, I had more than 300 emails from people who didn't have an opportunity to tell their stories, you know, and I I took the time to read all of them. And a lot of times they just really, um, 
broke me down, you know, to hear yeah. some of this stuff. And I, I realized, I mean, I've worked in, in the criminal justice system for some years, and then I've gone branched off into some other areas of law. Um, and my graduate studies was focused on this very type of thing. And I just yeah. honestly could not believe something like this that showed up at my door. <laughs> you well, know? I'll, well, I'll tell you what, Ms. Moyne, we're going to get into more of this discussion. How's your time with us for this evening? Or do you have a, a limited time? Or are you here to stay for the duration? What, what are you looking at? Because we want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> oh, no, no. If you need to get on to the next caller, I will stay on no. the line. I am more than happy to engage, you know, to continue engaging in any type of discussion with respect to with respect well, to these injustices. They need to be talked about. No, so we're going to keep you on here until we're on here for about another hour, uh, and okay. we're going to be doing some. We're going to play some clips. We want to share with you as we. Uh, I think your perspective on what's happened to you definitely gives a clear message uh, that you can give insight to some of these things. Not because you heard something, you heard a story, but because you lived it. And when people live injustice, their voice becomes very powerful. I believe that's the case here tonight. We're going to deal with Khalif Browder when we come back on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, so hang with us, Miss Lindley. Uh, we got more questions, but we got a lot of information we want to get out here tonight, and I want your perspective on that as well. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, uh, dealing with the issue, that is absolutely over the top. And Miss Lindley, one question I'm going to have for you when we come back as we go forward uh, is the impact of the George Floyd case having on your son who has suffered what he has at the hand of law enforcement. What is his? What are his thoughts as you've allowed him to peek into the lens a little bit to hear about that tragedy. We're going to get into all of that. Again, Khalif Browder, we're going to definitely talk about him, his suicide uh, after being really wrongfully put on Rikers Island for no crime he was ever charged with, ultimately causing him to take his own life. We're going to go there and many other places. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. Feel free to call in 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. The untold stories of children the silent victims of today's American criminal justice system. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated, but one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prison and in federal prison. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders, 30% were property violators such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we are dealing with some troubling information out here that's happening in our country uh, in regards to our young people, our children, the most vulnerable, really, of our society, actually having a culture of abuse happening in their lives in regards to law enforcement and the criminal justice system. Uh, It concludes our series tonight, I think, uh, as we continue to get into this Uh, The well goes even a little deeper as far as what we are seeing. And, uh, Cliff, I I believe we do have a caller uh, who had a comment. He wanted to actually uh, speak. We're going to wait for 
Pim to come online. Uh, but we're going to be dealing with a young girl, ladies and gentlemen, as we wait for that. A young girl in Rochester, New York, sprayed with pepper spray uh, by police officers. Um, I'm going to share that story with you. She made a statement to the folks there, I want my dad, the girl well, that she refuses to get into the police car. Uh, we're going to get to that after we come to our caller. Cliff? Yes, we have uh, Mr. P, who has a comment on policing in public schools. Mr. P, thank you very much for your call, and you are live. Well, I was going to comment on police and their action, but this lady has a very interesting story. And I'm going to share some share some information with her. And uh, as far as the concussion is concerned, I can understand the concern there, having been a volunteer coach in sports at some schools, you know, here in the city that I went to. And they are very concerned about that. <clears throat> but on, on the other issue, if I was her, she should have filed a countersuit. Mm-hmm. And also, when she got the call that was a uh, a mechanical call, I would have got a hold of somebody and told them to send me out a notification in mail rather than just listening to some call. Because nobody know who that call was picked up by that it was sent. But, uh, I mean... That's and you know today's times where they have these bullying issues and they put these standards in place. Well, this is the times that we live in under. But uh, no, sure. she should have filed. She should have done a countersuit. Yeah, and I think, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you make your your next point uh, as well. Uh, but I think the problem here uh, is that a lot of people, even though we are in a different time. They've never been confronted with something like this. And, and as far as safety, as you know, in, in professional sports, uh, uh, little league sports, everything is about safety. Understood with that. But to single out an individual when you have, I don't know how many kids go on a dodgeball team on the, on the opposite side. I remember maybe six or seven. Uh, we're on one side of the gym, the other guy's on the other side, and we're throwing balls until we can get them down. Uh, that's how I remember it coming up. Uh, so I do understand the point that safety is a, is a critical thing. And to your point, uh, you know, a counter complaint, a lot of people are not aware of what can I do. I think the situation, and I'm going to let Ms. Lindley uh, answer that question uh, to, to, to what you had to say, but I wanted to just chime in on that. Uh, Ms. Lindley, are you there? I am. Go ahead and give your comments to our caller. To his um, question. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we, I, I did consider doing a counter, um, complaint against her. Um, we are still kind of evaluating where we are with that because the case was dismissed. Um, but that started the trauma on, on my son's end. Um, you know, so, you know, sometimes when, um, you're dealing with the legal system, it's not just as simple as going to file a complaint, you know, because for me, had this been my son um, being the victim, um, in this case, being the injured party, you know, they're playing the game. I understand the kids, you know, they get hurt. This is what they do sometimes. They cry, they're fine, they want to go back and be friends or whatever. But as far as the counter complaint, um, and, and here's the other thing about this, your second point, 
about requesting the information um, be sent out. I did, I did um, let that office know that I had no paperwork, didn't know what I was responding to, but I wanted to get a jump on it, um, you know, right from that point, from the moment I knew. And mm -hmm. so once I, you know, had come home and thought about it and, and gotten myself together, I figured I'd start with the police department and stuff like that and start gathering enough information so that I'd know what I was responding to. Yeah, I understand. I'm not saying that you should have countersuited the mother. You should have countersuited the child because when they threw the ball at your child, it wasn't at his legs. It was at his face. All right. Cool. So it was attempted. So that's what the suit should have been. Just like when the other child got hit in the face and that was a, a what assault. Well, attempted assault was when they threw the ball at your child above his legs at his eye level. So that would have put the school district in a precarious position because like I think you said earlier, matter of fact, they don't play those games anymore nowadays because of the uh, incidents where a child can get a concussion from being hit in the face or in the head. But that would have put Correct. the emphasis on the school district then, I think. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and school look, districts don't like to be sued. They they do not. And what we did learn also um, after the case was dismissed was that um, and this came from the school, was that there was no, this child did not have any restrictions, um, meaning like he, he didn't have any restrictions from a doctor. They were put on notice about his condition, but there were no restrictions. So from the school's end, they, they, they could not prohibit this young man, even though they knew that he could get injured, they couldn't stop him from playing the game. No, no, absolutely. So that, that, no, go ahead. No. Go ahead, Ms. Lonely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. So I was just going to say, so in terms of the liability, you know, they the school really limited their liability there because had they had they restricted um, this young man from playing, then the mother would have had, I'm sure, a suit against the school for not allowing her child to play without having any restrictions. But as a mother, if you know that your child has any condition where they can get injured or hurt or harmed, you don't wait for a physician to send a note to the school. You put the school on notice and let them know he's not to engage in these types of games because this is his condition. She could have very well placed those restrictions on him, but she didn't do that. But I do agree with you in terms of that young man who, um, who was the one who chucked the ball first. I could have done that, but given the fact that these kids were friends, you know, I had to assess the situation, right, and say, yep. you know, these are 9- and 10-year-olds who are the, – the, the prosecutor's office doesn't have any business in any school business unless there's, unless there's a more serious thing going on. These, this isn't the kids that, were, that brought a, a gun to school. These are right. children playing on the playground right. at recess. So right. because right. of that – I didn't want to really get into kind of like the, you know, the back and forth with that. What she did was wrong. I'll let that rest with her. Um, it's been a while. You know, time is kind of running out in terms of what we what we think we might do here. Um, no, but and, and still, and this there's is still open. Some, some options. And Ms. Lennon, we know this is open. Mr. P, by the way, thank you for your calling to the show tonight. Uh, we appreciate your question for our uh, our guest. Uh, and I think, Ms. Lennon, you answered it well. These, these are things that a lot of people simply – uh, this is a, a again, and 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 if they're not allowing.
contact sports like this. Well, apparently they are because this is as early as, what, 2019 this happened? That is correct, yes. So apparently they are doing that. Go ahead, Cliff. Yeah, Ms. Lindley, I mean, you look at this whole situation, and, I mean, not to use the overused term, but it fits perfectly. This just falls under the line of, uh, you know, white or whatever type of privilege. Because here the mother of this uh, child who is the uh, so-called victim says, hey, don't tell my kid that he can't play on the playground with other kids. The school is like, Mm -hmm. well, that's fine. So that way you can't sue us if something happens to him. And the mom is like, Mm -hmm. well, that's fine. Rather him being embarrassed, I won't sue you. You allow him to play. And then they're looking for a scapegoat. And just so happen chance, there's a little black kid on the playground that uh, when her kid gets quote unquote hurt, uh, that they say, hey, the school's like, well, we we got the other kid who threw the ball and and she's upset because, you know, maybe her kid is not athletically inclined or whatever. But yeah, she's playing both sides of the coin. I want my kid to be able to play. Don't say he has a disability. Don't say he has a handicap. But then when he gets hurt, give me a scapegoat to throw at. Uh, at the at the the bottom line, this mother should take accountability and responsibility for herself for not pushing the issue with the school and 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 deal with it from from her own personal perspective instead of blaming it on another ten year old kid. No, absolutely. Very no circumstances. No, under, under yes. no circumstances does your kid get charged. We're playing yes. at recess. Recess, Correct. you know what? You know why they, you know why they give kids recess? Because they need to, <laughs> you know, they need to get as much energy out as they can as they sit yeah. in the classroom. <laughs> doing the, look, man, go run around the school, jump trees, do yeah. whatever it is that you do on recess. Uh, yeah. that's how that works. David, go ahead for Miss Lindley. Uh, hi, Miss Lindley. Dave, thanks here. I just there's something. Where's the good old fashioned conflict resolution? Uh. It seems like the schools just can't. This is a basic conflict that might happen at any time at any school, and it's been happening since the beginning of time when kids play. But it seems like there's yeah. always this rabid uh, attitude that we need to go get the police involved. You got a whiny mother. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say you got a whiny mother over there. Your kid's out on the playground. He gets hurt. Other kids can get hurt. That's just that. That's just yeah. a part of growing up. And if we don't yeah. get back to just basic resolution, we'll call the parents. She could have called and talked to you. The 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 school could have talked and and resolved the matter. It it seems like we're too quick now to to always get the police involved, and uh, we need to do something. It, it's it's this this nation has changed in such a and devolved in such a way that this sort of stuff happens far too often. And now you're talking about children. Okay, you're you're yelling at a five-year-old. You're 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 putting assault charges on a ten-year-old for out there playing dodgeball. It's just there's there's something very sick about uh, uh, the powers that be in law enforcement for some reason, and you got to feel it's been around a long time, or it's just a a part of the uh, the decay, the moral decay in this country uh, is responsible when police uh, are stupid enough. I'm sorry. I got, I got to use some of these terms. They're yeah. stupid enough to actually bring, char- don't you have a better job to do than to bring charges against a 10 year old? How do you even, 
rationalize or come up with the fact that you should have told the lady to go suck an egg or something like that. This is just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. The, the mom is just yes. is just whining about, okay, your kid got hurt at school. It's okay. He's not dead. So uh, yes, I said, I'm, right. I'm really miffed about a lot of this stuff. And this we're too politically correct. There's so much stuff that goes on in today instead of people can just talk a little bit and resolve issues. Absolutely. I completely agree with everything that you said. Conflict resolution. The school did try try the conflict resolution once the kids came back to school the very next week after after the incident and they sat down and they they decided that they were going to continue to be friends. No one knew about the young man's condition until the incident happened. But then it was the mother who interjected and said that she didn't want her son playing any longer with my son. And so you are absolutely correct. We need to let kids be kids. That is well, what they do. They're children. We're talking about elementary children. And these kids could have very well, no matter what color they are, right, they could have ended up being like the best of friends and stuff like that. You know, when my son, you know, he's not a perfect kid. He's a kid. He, you learn, you grow, and you make mistakes, and you correct them. You know, but when, when his buddies, I remember when he was a lot younger, they would come in all the time and say, oh, well, Bryce did this or such and such did that. And, you know, they, they learn Miss Kamishi very well, right? Because my rule is don't tell me what somebody else did. I want you to tell me what you did. And so that usually stops that conversation and it helps with that conflict resolution. And when they're young like that, they'll usually work those, those things out. You know, these are little kitty things, you know, elementary yep. school things, you know, and then, you know, but then as they, you know, I don't know when these resource officers really started injecting themselves in the school to this degree. You know, I, well, I think that those resource officers talking about, I'm not really a, let me not go there because that's a, that's a political statement. I don't want to do that. But what I do want to say is, you know, these resource officers maybe need to be replaced with people in the community. Because when you have black children, particularly in white areas, it's very difficult for the teachers and the staff to really kind of um, relate to these kids and for these black children to relate back to them. So they don't feel really comfortable. So then you well, find yourself as a parent trying to figure out, I'm sorry. No, no, please go ahead. No, so then, you know, as a parent, then you try to figure out, is my, am I doing the right thing by having my child out here at the school so that they can, you know, keep up and get a good quality education, or do I search for somewhere else? But I'm not going to run from these things. These, it's not us that needs to change. It's the culture of the place that we live that needs to change. It's embedded in the culture. So we have to discuss these things so people start to look at their actions. You know, there's, it's been a substantial time now where I hope that, that that woman, she could have very well called me. I am always at the school. I've never missed a field trip. I'm, you know, I read to the kids. At that time, I, I always volunteered every Friday coming in to read to the kids for an hour out of my time, my schedule, and I work. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm not a hard person to reach. I've had the same sure. phone number for for years. So anyone could have reached out to me and had that engaged in that conversation. They could have come to my house. We could have gone to there. You know, I'm always at the skating rinks. I'm always at fundraisers and I'm usually on the PTA. Well, 
Miss Lindley, here, here, here's the to me, and we're going to go into some clips because I want to get your perception, uh, your uh, perspective mm-hmm. on it. I said okay. the other day, and I've been saying this a long time: racism, racial division, all of it is taught behavior. I was sharing with yeah. my mother the other day a video. I don't know if you've seen it. It's all over social media. They got this little black boy, and they got this little white boy. So they're getting ready to play in the yard. Well, the black boy walks up to the youngster, and at his age, he noticed that something mm-hmm. was wrong with his friend. So he goes up mm-hmm. to the kid, he says, so he puts his hand on his shoulders, the black kid's looking in this white kid's eyes, and he says, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And the little, the, the white boy says, yeah, um, yeah. And so the black kid looks back in the white boy, he knows what, you know what, something's wrong here. He said, you need a hug? Mm-hmm. And the young black boy just reached out and hugged the white guy, and the white little white boy hugged him back. It was the most endearing mm-hmm. moment I've seen, but it brought this as Aww. we're talking. Mm-hmm. The school didn't need to do anything here. Nobody well, needed correct. to do anything here. You know what should have happened? Hey, man, you know what? We were playing the game. If I act, if the ball if I accidentally hit you above the shoulder, man, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that. That's between two kids. Correct. Once you, once you bring in a mother who's overprotective, as they've said here, and there's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. If your son has a brainstem issue, mm-hmm. then you know what? It is your responsibility as a parent to say, look, what are the, to do your due diligence, your homework, what sports are you guys playing? And, and when I was in school, we knew when volleyball time was, when basketball was going to be played, uh, if we're going to be outside doing track, if we're going to be doing whatever. We knew, we knew exactly during the time of that particular quarter, and we all waited for basketball because that was the funnest part, uh, or whatever, or football. And it's your job as a parent to say what is mm-hmm. the contact sport when I look at my kid's schedule. Mm-hmm. He has people. Looks like dodgeball is going mm-hmm. to be played these four weeks of the, of the uh, month or whatever, of the year. Uh, and I mm-hmm. say to the school, look, my son has some issues. I don't think this may be a problem, but let me bring it to your attention. Then the staff at the school is aware that when they begin to mm-hmm. play these contact sports, hey, look, man, we're going to have you do something else. Uh, maybe if you want to do this or do that, op- put options on the table for the young boy. He's probably going to be like, no, I'm mm-hmm. fine. I can play. Uh, but those are decisions to be made at home. The culture Correct. here is what created the destruction. The culture Correct. here is what allow- and allowing these things to happen. Uh, I can guarantee Correct. you, I've been in a lot of disagreements as a kid growing up playing sports in school. And uh, I'll tell you what, we got over it. And uh, you know how we mm-hmm. used to do it? That David talks about re- uh, conflict resolution. Uh, Mr. Polinski at East Middle School uh, David remembers him. He was a he was a, a PE teacher and a coach. Mm-hmm. And so he, he mm-hmm. comes in the hallway, and you got say two kids wanting to fight. He says he breaks them up and says, "Look, come to the gym after school. We got some boxing gloves. We're gonna let y'all go ahead and finish that out that way." And that's how they that's how they <laughs> right. solved it. And they're like, "Okay, man." Yeah. So by the time they got the aggression done, you know what they were doing? They hugged each other and said, "All right, man. Good fight, man. I lost. I won. Either way, but exactly. it was resolved." It was resolved. Exactly. So I, do, yes. I do agree with you. And, and I think that needs to be looked at. Politics needs to be taken out of situations like this. But I'm telling you, I said it once, I'll say it again. When you have culture that is the mm-hmm. dominant force in any institution, elementary, junior high, high school, college, pros, whatever, man, you're going to have yes. issues just like this uh, that happen. I'm going to play a clip for you, Ms. Lindley, here as we uh, 
kind of turn the corner, but I want your perspective. If there's anything you want to add okay. to it, I definitely want to get it from you. Anything else you want to say about your son? And I'm going to get a, before I let you go tonight, I do want to get a summary of where he's at, how things are going, of what you are allowed okay. to talk about, what you're allowed to say, okay? And um, okay. No, okay, so we're going to play this clip now. Uh, this is an officer charged in a juvenile detention center beating death. Uh, officer charged with killing uh, a juvenile in a juvenile detention center. Again, the focus, the untold stories of children suffering in the criminal justice system of this nation. Let's play the clip. A Miami-Dade juvenile detention officer is facing serious federal charges tonight, nearly three years since a teenager died while in custody. CBS 4's Hank Tester live at the federal courthouse in downtown Miami with details. Hank. Well, late this afternoon, that corrections officer was fired. And Rick, that's absolutely the least of his problems tonight. Let's take a look. Within seconds, one of the juveniles punched ER in his face as ER was attempting to sit in a chair. Several other juveniles kicked him, joining the attack, violently punching him. The victim referred to as ER, Eloyd Revolt, died as a result of, according to the feds, an orchestrated beating that took place in August of 2015 at the Miami-Dade Juvenile Detention Center. Now, an indictment of juvenile corrections officer Antoine Leonard Johnson. As you heard this morning, Antoine Leonard Johnson was arrested by the FBI without incident. It is a dirty, not-so-little secret detailed by a CBS4 Jim DeFeedy report. Corrections officers bribing juvenile inmates with candy, special privileges, even fast food burgers. This to beat juveniles who disrespected the corrections officers. Jailhouse justice directed by, in this case, Officer Antoine Johnson. Here's how it works. So usually uh, they'll bribe us with honey buns and stuff like that, you know, with like Skittles or something, and be like, okay, look, bro, this kid disrespecting me, I don't like him. The indictment reads in part, the bribery beatdowns were commonly utilized by other juvenile detention officers. Officer Johnson now faces up to life in prison for ordering the attack that killed ER. The beatings resulted for Officer Johnson two federal charges of violation of rights, in this case leading to the death of A. Lord Revolt. From the state of Florida, the behavior detailed in this indictment is appalling and inexcusable. In response to today's findings, the department taking immediate action to terminate this employee. Well, Johnson was in federal court uh, this afternoon where prosecutors asked for $250,000 bail. That's the very latest. I'm Hank Tester, CBS 4 News Tonight. It's back to you. Well, there you have it. What do you say to that, that... Officers orchestrating hits on children and youth detention centers and the bribe uh, value, about 99 cents in the form of a honey bun or Skittles, because that's what kids like. So you preyed upon this young man, had him beaten to death. This is in a juvenile detention center. Ms. Lily, what are your thoughts when you hear 
And we're going to go to Khalif Browder here in a moment, right after this. But I, I have to get your thoughts on this. Uh, what are your thoughts? I just cringe hearing something like this. Yes. I, I mean, I just, I, I, I just don't even know what to say. Um, well, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult to deal with because is. you're a mom. So this is why when they start putting people in detention centers, this is why you cannot trust a brochure or an ad on the internet about a particular facility. They'll make it look like you're going to the to the Holiday Inn. You're, you're going to be staying for this. You're going to have free breakfast, all this good stuff. That's how they paint the picture. Three hot meals yeah. a day. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, these kids are looked after, they're cared for. It is a lie. And it's a cultural problem. Because it happens in facilities all over this country. These things happen. Yes. And are you familiar with the Khalif Browder story? I am. But briefly, I've watched that a couple of times. Um, but I, I do remember that young man taking his life and being locked up for for Nothing. something. So yeah, I do remember uh-huh. that. Yeah, you'd have to brief me on that one. Well, I'm going to refresh it. I'm going to refresh your memory. We're going to play a clip here, guys. Khalif Browder, to me, and, and I'm going to get your thoughts, guys, before we get into the clip, and then I'm going to have Miss Lily hear it. One of the most horrific stories, tragedies that I have ever come across in the criminal justice system. Uh, Khalif Browder was sent to the notorious known Rikers Island, which is an execution chamber for people, to believe, believe it or not. Uh, it's one of the worst jails slash prisons in the country. One of the most violent places for somebody to go. They put this young boy as a teenager in Rikers. And you know what they said he did? Mm-hmm. Stole a backpack. Stole mm-hmm. a backpack. That's that valued, right. I think, at 11 yeah. bucks. Yeah. Valued at 11 yeah. bucks. Here's, here's the kicker here, guys. And to our listeners, he was never charged. But he's right. over, was it three That's years? In Rikers, where the officers allowed him to be assaulted, beaten, all the stuff he suffered. And finally, Mm -hmm. when they dismissed the charges, I'm going to let the story tell the rest of the story. We're going to come back. We're going to comment on that. And uh, this is is tragic. But the reason I play it is for our listeners to know, look, we're not on this show talking about stuff we're making up. We're Mm -hmm. on this show to inform people, you better wake up. They use the term, stay Mm -hmm. woke. Mm-hmm. You better stay woke because mm-hmm. our young people are dying every single every day. day in this mm-hmm. country. But we're going to go to mm-hmm. Khalif Browder. Let's hear the story. I'm going to get your thoughts right after after this, Miss Lizzie. Thank you so much. Play the oh, clip. Thank you. We turn now to another tragic story about a young man who learned the hard way about the troubles plaguing America's criminal justice system. Khalif Browner was arrested at 16 never convicted of a crime, never had a trial, but spent more than three years in one of the most violent jails in the country. Tonight, here is Khalif in his own words. You're supposed, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but the way the system is, is you're guilty until proven innocent. Little did we know Khalif Browder was already dying inside the day we met him. At the easy age of 22, he'd already learned more about America's criminal justice system and endured more than any soul should ever have to. 
That's Khalif there on the floor inside Rikers Island, New York City's most notorious jail, beaten by a gang of fellow inmates all caught on camera. At the age of 16, he was arrested and sent here for allegedly stealing a backpack. It was like hell on earth. We were beaten, stomped by the, by the correction officers, and they were just beating on me. They were just beating on me. Beatings captured on surveillance video obtained by the New Yorker magazine, which first brought Khalif's story to light. In this video, we see him being escorted to the prison shower. He appears to speak to the guard, who in seconds is seen slamming him into a wall and then to the ground. And I cry myself to sleep because it's like, I want to go home, and it's like, they're not letting me go home. To go home, Khalif's mother, Benita Browder, needed to post bail of $3,000, money she said she just didn't have. What was your reaction when you heard that your 16-year-old boy was being sent to Rikers Island? My heart dropped. You know, I had heard so many horror stories about Rikers, and all I could picture was him getting hurt in there. Court records show Khalif had attempted suicide at least six times, spent 1,110 days behind bars, more than 800 of those in solitary confinement. His court date postponed more than 30 times. He endured all this having never been given a trial, never convicted of a crime. Finally, in June of 2013, all charges against Khalif were dismissed. But his experience exposed a troubled criminal justice system and the brutality of life behind bars. I think at some point, almost a reckless disregard by the prosecutors in this case. They didn't care, Byron. They saw his file. They saw that he was in jail. And he'd probably take a plea. And they were hoping he'd take a plea. They just told me that if I plead guilty, I would release from jail that same day. But I didn't do it. You're not going to make me say I did something just so I could go home. When we first met him November of last year, he was doing better, he said. Earned his GED, started classes at Bronx Community College, pulling a 3.56 GPA. But the psychological trauma from jail had taken its toll. And when he first came home, he would just walk the four corners of the driveway. You hear animals do that have been confined to a space. Yes, he did it. And I had to watch my baby go through all of that. In the last year, Khalif grew depressed, deeply paranoid. You know, deep down, I'm a mess. I feel like I'm a grown old man. And then two Saturdays ago, two years after his release from jail, Khalif Browder hanged himself with an air conditioner cord in his home in the Bronx. He was 22. I didn't know what to do. I, can you imagine finding your son and he's hanging with his head back? Khalif's death made national news and messages of outrage mixed with sympathy flooded social media. John Legend wrote in an op-ed that New York failed Khalif. Lena Dunham Instagrammed his photo and called for reform. Our interview with Khalif went viral on Facebook. What we now know is that Khalif was due in court to face new charges of disorderly conduct the week he took his own life. His family said he was scared to go back into jail. By now, the beatings he endured in Rikers had been seen millions of times online. What did Rikers do to your son? It destroyed him. It destroyed him mentally. Has anyone apologized to you from Rikers? No. From the prosecutor's office? No. What do you hope happens now? I want them to be responsible, to admit that it was their fault that my son is dead. He spent three years in, in hell. It sounds like you're in that hell now. I will be in hell until the day I die because I found my son hanging. If your child is murdered, 
you you have a, an immediate anger towards that person and you want that person found, you know, and, and pay for what they did to your child. It's not one person, it's a whole system that destroyed my son. And I want them all to pay. I deeply wish we hadn't lost him, but he did not die in vain. New York did away with solitary confinement for 16 and 17 year olds. Plans were announced to fix crowded dockets in courts to ensure the right to a speedy trial. There are also calls for change to the cash bail system. Currently, only 12% of defendants in New York City make bail. We're in a quest for justice right now, Byron. Paul Prestia, who helped Khalif file his civil suit against the city, says it's not enough. The reforms are all nice and well, but admit you did something wrong here, because that was always Khalif's message. How many young men have to go through this? 99% of the critics that talk all that junk, I promise you, they wouldn't have the courage to do the job that the correction officers do. Bernie Carrick knows the system from both sides. The former chief of the New York City Police Department, he also ran Rikers Island for years. And as a convicted felon, he spent time in solitary confinement. As someone that spent 60 days inside solitary confinement, it creates paranoia. It makes you insane. But he cautions the city against bowing to public pressure and implementing changes, he says, that could put Rikers correction officers and inmates in danger. If you take solitary confinement away from the correction officials, you're going to see a major, major increase in violence. These are kids that come from gangs. These are kids that ran the streets. I think is very dangerous. So what would you do? What, what were think, your suggestions to improve think, Rikers Island? I think you keep that. You charge the staff that violate the law, and they're locked up. It's not hard to imagine the life he might have led if he had made it. I have the medal hanging on my bed. You see it in the remnants of the life and the people he left behind, like Elizabeth Pyumps, a program director at Bronx Community College who worked closely with Khalif. Granted me his associate's degree. She says she's working on getting Khalif his associate degree posthumously. It's for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> what do you want the world to remember of your son? To remember him for the stand-up person that he was. He was a good person. The kind of person who turned down a plea bargain on principle, whose story may help save others like him. If I would have just been guilty, then my story would have been never been heard. Nobody would have took the time to listen to me. I'd have been just another criminal. There you have it. A greater tragedy. But this young man lost his life. do not understand, don't understand, the mother to, as we did a show on Khalif Browder before, on an interview with the mother, she said that every day she could hear that thump, with that extension, that cord to that air condition on the side of her house, where Khalif said, I cannot go back to Rikers. And what they did to this young man, they kept riding him and riding him 
a 3.5 grade point average. And he said, I can't say I, I did something when I didn't do it. But it's an act of intimidation by this system. If anyone out there dare say to me or to anybody, we have the best system in the world, tell that to Khalif Browder's friends, his mother, his family. There's one thing, though, you can't because his mother has since passed away. a tragedy and why I'm so concerned and why Miss Lily's story is so important it starts right where it started with her son that's where it starts give me your thoughts Miss Lily please wow um, you know too often too often in this country our, our black youth they're ostracized just not even our black youth our black people and brown people are ostracized and ridiculed and persecuted. And this has been for centuries, you know? And so, you know, this, this just should not be a thing. It just should not be a thing, but it, but it is a thing, you know? And these hashtags, how many more of the Khalif Browders are out there? I know there's lots of them. You know, in this system that we had, that so-called our judicial system, it's not for black and brown people. Well, it is. And it's working exactly the way it was designed to work, you know. And it starts like my son's story started, you know, That's like right. the the discipline, the little remarks that they make, even when they're, you know, even when they're, um you know, straight A and straight A and B students, you know, my son is. But these little remarks that they that that teachers make on report cards using words like talks too loud and talks over the teacher or something like that, you know, you you would be led to believe that your child is the only one that is talking to himself in a classroom clearly he's talking to someone else but i guarantee you if you if you look into the records of some of these other some of the other students that he goes to school with like white children and stuff like that those things are never documented on them but they're always documented on our children and that's those are things that have to stop you know we've been talking about these things for years i mean i remember rodney king I remember, you know, it, there's so many folks, um, yeah. it, you can't even keep up anymore. You well, know, you just can't. Well, Ms. Lidley, listen to this, and I mean this. Um, I'm grateful and thankful to you for being the mother of your son, who can give him strength and support to pick up the pieces. Um, and with that said, honestly, how is he doing right now? You know, now that he's 12, um, he has, you know, he's coming into this place where he's learning more. I'm talking to him a lot more, especially since this incident, because 
you know, you blink and your children, you know, they'll be driving and then you've got to send them off to this, to this cruel world. But, um, you know, he's doing okay, but I make sure that if he needs to speak to someone, um, and he, he won't open up to me, then he does have a, um, a counselor that I have him speak with somebody that looks like him, a professional person. It is important to make sure that, that, that continues. Um, and I try to make sure that he knows that he's great. He's loved. He's to keep his head up. Um, but I also try to really prepare him, you know, this pandemic that we're in, has been a it has been a, a blessing and a curse in the same sentence. And the reason why I say that is because he's here with me and he's safe. And right. the when he's in school, the police can't be called on him. You know, like it, it sounds weird, but that's a real thing for us. Um, right. It's sad. It's sad that it, it has to be that way, but it really is, you know, and I cringe just thinking about, man, him having to go back to school because what is it going to be now that he's in middle school, you know, um, you know, how is he going to adjust to a the society that we live in? It says you're not good enough. You know, you, you can't be yourself because you have to not be a little boy and not play with your friends this way. You not throw the ball this way or that way, or, you know, what do you do in circumstances like that? You, 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 you make sure you love on your children because it's important. Um, no, and it's you train important. them up the best way and you, you pray, you never stop praying, but you have to really prepare them for the world that we live in. You know, as he watches, yeah. I know you had mentioned the whole George Floyd thing and, how he was really adapting to that. He's asked questions to me, like, you know, am I, do I have a record? Am I going to have a record? My friends say that I'm, I've got a, some type of juvie record. And he's, you know, I'm trying to make him understand that what he did was not wrong and something was wrong with, with them and not him. It is important well, when we have our children in these schools to make sure that they are lifting them up the way they should. As parents, good parents, black parents, we make sure, you know, I I, I tell the schools, his teachers every year, I gave him his self-esteem and no one here will take it away from him. And so, you know, it's important to make sure that you just continuously, you know, make sure that they have the help that they need. And just a comment on, you know, like just the judicial system overall with the Khalif Browder story. Um, too often, also, we don't have the resources to just go out and get qualified lawyers, right? Um, right. We don't have those resources. So often, oftentimes we get stuck in those situations like what he was in, um, being stuck, not ever charged, you know, and something like that. They set him up for failure. They failed him. We all failed him. Yeah, no, listen, the Khalif Browder story makes me outraged equally as I'm outraged about your son and yeah. our thoughts and prayers are with him uh, that some way through this system of what he has suffered will cause him to be stronger than he's ever been that is my hope yeah to be aware yeah. of the times in which we live I will tell you this that 
We're going to continue to press our way to what's going on um, and hopefully fight for these folks that need to be fought for. Your son is actually one of them. Um, well, thank you. And we, and we believe that. William, William, the gentleman's name in Minnesota. Orlando Castillo. Orlando Castillo. Orlando Castillo, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, was shot to death. And you got a three-year-old girl yes. in the back seat. He did everything the officer told him to do. Yeah, he was in mm-hmm. 100%, 100% compliance. I mean, he mm-hmm. told him, mm-hmm. let him know everything. And still received, I believe, it was like six or seven shots. Six or seven shots. And, mm-hmm. as, and no gun was pointed directly at this officer. He never got, mm-hmm. he never got to do anything. So I, I mm-hmm. applaud you, uh, Ms. Lidley. I applaud you for your courage. Please know this, that if you or your son need anything, uh, mm-hmm. Agency Radio Just Cause Organization stands as a tower of support for you uh, and for your family Thanks. and in the efforts and the endeavors that you may be pressing uh, to do. We support you. You ever need a platform. You ever need to come on and tell people your story as depending on how this goes. And here's what's crazy. At the end of the day, they say, well, the charges are dismissed, but you can't undo the damage that's been done. That's correct. And so many people forget that, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, initially it was, you know, like an outrage and then it settled, right? Because then right after that, we had the Botham John case with uh, Tatiana Jefferson, Jefferson, you know, we had, you know, just, you know, George Floyd. And then we had just all of these other people where it, these things happened right back to back, right after my son's story. So it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, But it is important to make sure that we keep these stories in the forefront. I really appreciate you all um, for having me on. I hope that anyone listening um, took something away from this. And anytime you'd like for me to come back, I, I will make an adjustment in my schedule to speak with you all. Well, we'd love to have so you. And again, you. So thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today. Uh, I'm going to be in touch You're with welcome. you, Ms. Lindley, offline. And, okay. Uh, you'll, have my, you'll have my contact information. And if for any okay. reason, uh, your son, again, we, got, we know a lot of people. We know a lot of resources. <clears throat> and whatever we can do to bring help to his life as well as yours uh, in a situation yes. that has to be troubling, uh, AJC Radio Just Calls commits to that, okay? Thank you so much. Okay, you have a good rest of the evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all. Bye-bye now. Take care. Okay, Miss Lindley, really a tragic story. Uh, But I think we need to look at that. This is where these, the George Floyd of our time start where Miss Lidley's son started. It started in elementary school or where somebody said he wasn't good enough, said he wasn't better, said George Floyd moved to Minnesota for a new beginning, a new start, uh, for a better tomorrow for his life. That's why he went there. We don't know all that he suffered as a youngster, what type of harassment he may have suffered, what type of racism he may have suffered. But if we don't nip it in the bud here, We're going to be in a bad situation. Dave, your closing thoughts. When you see everything that's happening, there's definitely something has to be done with these schools. When I look at when I was in high school, I had two incidents when I was 16 
These students were 16 and older. One attacked the principal, another attacked a teacher and actually pushed him through a wall. There were police called. There were, that was resolved within the school. Now you're, you have police being called for everything and something has to be done. The, um, the officers that are in the schools, they need to be taken out. You need to have, like um, our guest said, a community person there that can relate to these kids and resolve these issues together. Oh, absolutely. Good point, Dave. Ladies and gentlemen of America, Agency Radio Tonight, uh, the untold stories of the children, the silent victims of the criminal justice system in America. I'm sure we'll visit this topic again down the road, but until next time, have a great weekend. Happy Easter to everyone, and we wish you well. Good night. This is IDC Radio. Grand Rapids, Michigan officers pointing their guns at an 11-year-old girl handcuffing her as she screamed for her mother to help. And what the police chief is now saying tonight. Here's ABC's Alex Perez. This hard-to-watch video sparking outrage tonight. Those screams from 11-year-old Honesty Hodges. The incident captured on the officer's body cam began when the elementary school student, her mother, and aunt were leaving a home in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Police incorrectly believed the suspect sought in an attempted murder case was hiding inside. Stop yelling. Weapons drawn, the girl, terrified, starts crying as the officer cuffs her. I didn't do anything wrong. I've never been in trouble by the Grand Rapids Police. Her mother demanding answers. You got us all into cop cars. I have my child scared. Like, why? For what? The Grand Rapids Police Chief admitting the young girl was not treated properly. Listening to the 11-year-old's response uh, makes my stomach turn. It, it makes me physically nauseous. And David, the police chief says the 11-year-old should not have been treated as an adult and says there's an internal investigation into the officer's actions underway. David? Alex Perez tonight. Thank you, Alex.